This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and 920-1260 and 1420-AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. The world has changed. And the evidence that the world has changed is in the world's reaction, or most of the world's reaction, to Simone Biles stepping away from the Olympics when she needed to. I was amazed at how quickly so many people said, good on you, Simone Biles, and how easily we were able to accept, many of us, that medals are nice, but it's just hardware. Your life, your health, how you feel in this moment is more important than anything else. Not putting yourself in danger when you're not feeling your best is something to be applauded. And right away when that happened, I reached out to the group, A Circle of Women, on Facebook, and I wrote, Simone Biles on the world's largest stage just gave herself a timeout. And we all deserve that. So if there's any part of your life where you know you should step away and take a break, listen to your heart. Listen to your body. Step away and take a break. The world goes on. And what she did, too, that made her such a leader in my eyes is minimize the drama. She took herself out of the equation and then became a support figure for the rest of the team. Knowing that the team had trained, that she wasn't abandoning the team, she was right behind them saying, you go look at that mat, you go look at the bars, you go look at the beam, I've got my eyes on you. She had the strength Not to get caught up in the emotion of it. I'm guessing she cried a lot back in her little room on those cardboard beds. I don't know. I would have. But the strength and the grace and the leadership she showed the world I thought was outstanding. (laughs) Those are my thoughts as we launch into another week of health and happiness. So right away I got a call from Ron Carr and Ron who teaches the Velocity Mindset, how leaders eliminate risk, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster. Ron, weren't you just delighted and amazed at the reaction to Simone Biles? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason I'm amazed is because what she did was she actually proved herself to be a leader at the top skill levels of all leaders that I've known. Um, what she did goes beyond what anybody would expect, and let me explain for a second. One of the things that she, well, two things she specifically did was she was doing her, her routine. It didn't work well. She started falling awkwardly. And so number one, she looked at who are the most important people in her life. One is herself. She didn't want to get hurt, so this was not good for her, and she had to pause. In my book, The Velocity Mindset, one of the things we talk about, if you want to gain speed in achieving your results, sometimes you have to pause and rethink things. That's what she did. Number two, she put a team ahead of herself, okay? Because she realized, number one, that by not getting the results, there were other people, such as SUNY, who were just as good, who could get the chance to do it and keep the team uh, scoring better and hopefully getting the goal that they all wanted to do. Also, what she realized was, if she was continue to do it and she wasn't doing well, then her team members would be feeling sorry for her 
and would be bothered by the fact she was going through a hard time, and that could negatively impact their performance. So for those two reasons alone, she proved her mettle as a leader. Absolutely. What do you think we can learn from that? I mean, what are the takeaways for us? We're not world-class Olympic athletes, but what could we do in our own lives that Simone can teach us? Right. Well, well number one, if you're, if you're heading towards a goal, let's say, and things aren't going well, then just pause. You know, you want to stop for a second because what happens in life is we tend to be more task-oriented versus purpose-oriented. And, and so we do a lot of tasks that sometimes don't support us, or if we're not good at what we're doing and it's not working, we'll keep doing it for the sake of doing it. That doesn't get us anywhere. Be purpose-driven. Understand what it is that you're after, what's really important to you in life and in this goal. And then you step back and you ask yourself, are these actions helping me get there? And if they're not, then just pause, rethink it, and see if you need to tweak what you're doing or change the actions altogether. All right. But you wrote the velocity mindset. How does pause and velocity um, come together? Uh, Simple, because if things are not working and you keep doing them, you're stripping yourself of velocity. What the pause does, it helps you to stop, rethink your purpose, and then start looking at the actions you're taking and start saying, if these are the ones that are best serving me, and if not, what should I be doing? That's what the pause does for us. All right. And what are you doing for people? How are you, how, tell us how you work with people. Uh, educate us about what you do. Sure. So for the last 31 years, I've been a uh, professional speaker, consultant, and coach. I've been helping organizations build high-performing sales coaches. I work with the C-suite, but it started doing a lot of leadership because that was part of the process. So what I do is I speak at conferences. Uh, CEOs and executives will hire me to personally coach them, as well as put me on annual retainers sometimes when they want me to work with the organization to help the organization get to its future goals. All right. What kind of organizations have you worked with, and how have you turned them around? Give us a few examples. So um, I, I, I work, I speak for all kinds of organizations, from Fortune 50 all the way down to small businesses. The ones that I usually coach and consult with are the companies in a 10 to $200 million range. Examples would be a medical device company in Florida. They, were, they just went public. They were capped at $98 million. They came out with a new breakthrough machine that helped surgeons reduce the time it took to do a procedure for in, nose, and throat. They couldn't sell it because their biggest competitor re-engineered it, not as good as theirs, but started beating them on price by giving it away for free. They brought me in. I assessed the situation. I spoke at their conferences, the bottom line. The sales team learned how to sell it against somebody who was giving it away for free. They started selling the machines. Their value went up. And in four years, they were sold to Medtronic for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Talk to the people now who are in work situations coming out of COVID that are less mm-hmm. than less than desirable. What? How can you help us do our best job? Mm-hmm. Some t- some of us are working in conditions that are difficult. Well, Casey, first of all, COVID made us all pause. It gave us a forced pause, if you will. And what happened in COVID, a lot of us started rethinking what we really want in life. For example, for me, I knew I wanted to move to Florida at some point, maybe when I'm 70, you know, after I finished working. But now at 64, COVID taught me, like everybody else, you don't know how long you've got, so why don't you start moving to Florida now? You know, redesign your business if you want and enjoy the lifestyle that you want. So the first thing that I would do, ask everybody to do who's listening, is number one, we look at what the overall purpose is in life that you want. What is the lifestyle that you really want and what do you want to do for a profession? What's the lifestyle that you want? 
and then start working your way backwards and start asking yourself, what are the key things that have to happen for me to get there? So we all have been uh, disappointed in some ways by COVID. You know, we've been affected in different ways. Some of us got sick, some of us didn't, but we all felt the effects of the lockdown. This is a time to take our lives back. This is a time to start rethinking what we want in life. The emergency is still here, but the severity of it may have lessened. So now think about what you want. Start with the end in sight first. Work your way backwards and identify the three or four things that you want to do to get there and then make sure your actions support that. So you can go to Florida and still do your inspirational work with businesses because COVID also taught us all how to use the computer better. Yeah, so we would, I had my clients on Zoom many years before COVID, but Casey, what this made was Zoom became part of the norm. So now doing these things virtually is is not a new thing you have to train people on. So yes, absolutely. And how can people find you and get more information about all you do? Sure. So they go to roncar.com, and car is spelled K-A-R-R. Roncar.com has all of my information. But there's one other website. They want to test themselves on being a leader. And when I say leader, I don't mean just a manager. I mean a leader of your life. Go to velocitymindset.com. That's velocitymindset.com. There's a free leadership assessment that you can take. And besides giving you the ability to score yourself, it gives you tips and best practices on how you can move forward in each of those areas. Can we be leaders even if we're not the boss? Absolutely. You know what the premise of the book, Casey, is, The Velocity Mindset? The premise is, what would the world look like if everybody was a leader, acted like a leader, and not a victim of circumstance? I can give you an example. My first job right after college in 1980 was selling copiers door-to-door. I was hired by Royal Business Machines. They came out with the first plain bond copier, which was a revolution because the liquid toner used to spill all of everybody's clothes. We had the one copier that can do 15 crisp copies a minute. The collator and the uh, duplicate and all that stuff was going to come six months later. Well, guess what, Casey? It never came. Mm. So now I'm cold calling on these offices and they say, well, can you do what the big Xerox machine does on the third floor? And I said, no. And they kicked me out. Well, after getting kicked out for two months and not making a sale, I decided to pause have a board meeting with me, myself, and I, and go to a diner. And I started asking myself, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I need to sell these things, regardless of what happens, regardless of the duplicator or the, sh- or the uh, um, two-sided copying. I need to sell what I have right now. Great, what's the conversation you're having? I'm talking about copying. They keep referring me to Xerox, which I can't compete. So what, how can we change the conversation? And I started thinking the copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle. Maybe I need to go that way. So the next call I went on, I asked the office manager, would you agree that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? And they said, yeah. I said, well, tell me your challenges in that area. And all of a sudden, the emotion came out, and they said, Sally or Bob have to get up from the desk on the first floor, walk to the staircase to get to the third floor. It takes about 20 minutes by the time they talk to everybody. Then they're in line behind all these big jobs. By the time they get back to the desk, it takes two hours. I said, well, how often does this happen? And she goes, the equivalent of two full-time employees. And I said, well, how would you like the two full-time employees back? She goes, how are you going to do that? So it's simple. I'm not competing with Xerox. It's a great machine. Keep it. I'm going to fill the gap for you. You take one of these machines on every floor, and you'll get rid of those one and two uh, copies done immediately, and you'll get back those two full-time employees. Casey, I started selling three at a time. That's what I mean by being a leader of your life and not being a victim of circumstance. I could have easily blamed my company, saying it's their fault. They're not giving me the parts of the machine. I need to compete against Xerox. 
And therefore, what would it have done me? It wouldn't have done me any good. That stuff still wouldn't have come out for another year, and I still had to make a living. This is an example of how you take over your life as a leader. And if something's not working, look at what you're doing, see if there's another angle, and then try that. That's Ron Carr of The Velocity Mindset, velocitymindset.com. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. Did you ever think your dog was trying to tell you something? Mike Overly is here. He is a coach that works primarily with men, and his website is dogsandmen.com. What is he trying to do? I want to attract men who are looking to move further into their lives, find out why they're here. And they can do this with the dogs? Absolutely. Bring the two together for me, please. So the dogs have an in. They already have a way of connecting with us that we may not even realize. Men have a particularly strong bond with their animals. Um, There's an unconditional love and acceptance that the dog is giving them and also trying to show them that they can have this for themselves. So this gives a particular strategy to being able to access parts of themselves that they didn't realize they had access to. Just men? No, women too. Because I think we need a lot more help than the women do. Oh, you think the men need more help. Okay, so what is it you want to help the men discover about themselves? I want them to know that they can do or be anything they want. Not everybody has to be something grand in the public's eye. You can be grand on your own. You might actually be happier where you are than you realize, or you may need to do something different with your life. But when it comes down to it, all men need to know that they are safe and that they are enough as they are. How did you find out that you were safe and that you were enough as you are? Uh, The big catalyst for that change came about four years ago when my brother passed away. He was kind of my hero. And I grieved him very hard, and he kept me open. And what I started to notice after that time with the dog that I had was what he was trying to show me all along that I didn't have to be where I was. I didn't have to be afraid. I didn't have to worry about everything like I did. He started to, I started noticing that he was trying to show me that could help me realize how beautiful everything is and how safe I actually am. Do you think all animals do that, bring messages to their owners? I do, but they're not necessarily the same messages. Some people might need something a little different than their next door neighbor. Right. How, How did dogs get to be so smart? Well, it's interesting. They don't have the same quantifiable intelligence that we do or that we think we need to judge everything by. They have an ability to be extremely present and just be who they are and see things differently than we do. Right. Some dogs do. Some dogs can be present. Some dogs are scared, too, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you work with men, do they have to have a dog? Or should they go out and get one? If they don't already have one, I wouldn't say go get one just to do this. But if they're called to go get an animal, then there's a reason. Oh, if they're cohabitating with an animal, there's a reason. Okay, got you. All right, talk to the men who are listening now. Tell them what you can do for them. What I can do for them is help them see how they can create a better life for themselves. That they don't have to necessarily seek answers from other people as to how they should live, but they can open up to someone else's guidance. Someone else can show them how to do this for themselves. Okay. And tell us a little bit about how your dog helped you with these realizations. 
one example. Um, frequently, I, my dog would go to the back door, and I would open the door, and he would stand there, and he wouldn't go outside, and he'd look up at me. And one day I said, I realized that he wanted me to go outside. He knew that I needed to get out of the house and spend some time outside. And as soon as I stepped outside, he joined me. And then we did that over and over again, and he could tell when I was a little more stressed that I needed to go outside and, you know, stop whatever I was doing and go spend some time in nature. Little things like that that I started to pick up on. I can relate to that. Um, My dog, I have one of my three dogs, follows me down sometimes to the laundry room. And I'll turn around and be shocked that Ella is just standing behind me waiting for me to turn around. And now, for years, I was like, I didn't know why she was doing that. And then, um, after talking to someone like you, I realized that dog was inviting me to sit down. And so now, whenever the dog, I guess, senses that I'm working too much, she'll come Mm -hmm. and sit behind me. And now, it's our thing. You know, I'll sit down on the floor of the basement with her and just have some peace. So, I, I really can appreciate what you're saying. And how do people get in touch with you for more information? They can go to my website, dogsandmen.com, all one word, dogs and men. Anything else our listeners need to know this morning? Just be the person that their dog thinks they are. <laughs> That's Mike Overly, menanddogs.com. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in to Shine On. Here in the Hudson Valley, we have a beautiful place in Putnam County called Lake Mayapak. And on the lake, there is an island. And on the island, there is a Frank Lloyd Wright house that Joe Massaro built and lives in. Maybe Joe wasn't voted most likely to succeed in school, but he did it and wrote a book about it called The Impossible Road. So, Joe, you're the guy that came to build that Frank Lloyd Wright house on that island in Lake Mayapak. How did that happen? Oh, by accident. (laughs) I heard that the fellow who owned the island was in financial trouble. On a whim, I wrote out a little note and taped it to his fence, told him I might be interested in buying the island. And uh, I didn't hear anything from him for almost four or five weeks. And then I went by on my wave runner one day, and he was standing on the dock. So I pulled over and started talking to him. And the man was from North Korea. Wow. He was a Korea soldier who actually walked out of North Korea to go to freedom. Wow. And uh, he was from California and had a tofu business in California. And somehow, the guys who owned the island before him got him to invest a lot of money based on the fact that the Japanese were going to build the Frank Lloyd Wright House. Mm. And that never happened, so they ended up walking away from the island and giving it to him. So my wife and I had bought another house on Lake Mayapak, and we renovated it. We were going to sell it. And after the renovation, the market fell apart, so we were stuck with that house for a while. Mm-hmm. So I approached this guy basically saying, hey, I have a house on the mainland. I'd be willing to trade and some cash for the island. And he said he'd be interested, but he couldn't. He was going back to California tomorrow. So I said, uh, let me go home and get my boat because I'm not going to put him on my wave runner. And I'll pick you up and we'll go look at the house. So I stopped at my house and I went inside. I told my wife, come on, get on the boat. We're going to go buy an island. Yeah. What are you going to do with an island? <laughs> I said, get on the boat. So we went back. We picked him up. His name was Mr. Parks. Took him to the other house, and he was walking through looking at everything and complaining about everything. And my wife says, oh, he's not interested. I said, yes, he is. He's just negotiating. Yeah. So, we'll, so when we finished viewing, we didn't have a pen or a pencil to exchange or a piece of paper to exchange our telephone numbers. So we went back to my house. My wife went up to get the paper and pencil, and I had closed the deal before she got back. Wow. And bought, bought the island right there on the spot. Where's Mr. And Parks today? Mr. Parks today 
put a mortgage on the house I traded and headed back to California, never to be seen again. Okay. And how did you come to build the Frank Lloyd Wright house? Is that what happened? Okay. This was many, I bought the island in 95, okay? Mm -hmm. In 2001, I sold my company to Pennsylvania Power and Light, and I needed something to do. So I knew about the uh, house never being built out here, the Frank Lloyd Wright house. The, The cottage was here, but the original design house was never built. So, you know, I was looking for something to do. So I said to myself, let's see how far along you can get this project before the town shuts you down. Mm -hmm. And I started working on it with a lawyer and we worked for, you know, several months to get things in place. And the next thing I know, they handed me a building permit. So now I have to build the house. Oh, (laughs) be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that's what we did. So this is weird, but I think I've been in your house. I think I took a tour. Don't tours come through sometimes? Oh, yes. I did a lot of fundraisers out here for different groups, a Women's Resource Center, right. parks, a lot of them, yeah. Well, we appreciate that, that you are truly part of the community and still giving back. But this is the movie I want to see made because it's such a great story that you ended up in this wonderful place because not a lot of people would have bet on you, right, when you were a kid? That, that's correct. My, my grades were terrible all the way through grammar school, up right through high school to the last two years of my high school. I ended up going to summer school more times. Here's a guy who hates school, and I had to go summer and winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. was it that made uh, learning difficult for you? I don't know. I still don't know. I mean, I have a great memory because I wrote the entire book from memory. So it's not my memory that does it. It's just, I don't know. I mean, my mother worked hard with me. You know, my brother was three years older than me, and he was the smartest kid in the class. Yeah. So I figured my mother had a good average. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, your book is out now, and people can read more about you. But it's called The Impossible Road, From the First Seat in the Dumb Row to My Own Private Island. How does it feel to be you today, Joe? Well, blessed, you know. I mean, I've had a great life, and I'm still having a great life. But if you looked at it from the beginning, I heard one time when I brought a report card home, which was always an interesting time, my report cards looked like the American flag, red, white, and blue on it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was coming down the stairs, and I, hold my, I heard my mother say to my father, I don't know how Joseph's going to get through life. Mm-hmm. And my father, he was a simple guy, he said, don't worry about Joe, he'll do just fine. So, you know, uh, half of my career... I thought it was pure luck. And then I ended up with more confidence in myself and, you know, and, and, and knew I could do that job. Right. And you created a very successful business in um, the sheet metal industry, right? Yes. I took over. My, it was my uncle's business. I came out of high school. I went to work for my father for a year in the, in the gas station he had, but I wanted more. So I went to work for my uncle and I became an apprentice in the sheet metal workers union. And from there, I ended up going into the office as a draftsman. And from there, I ended up becoming his partner and general manager of the business. And in uh, 1990, yeah, 90, I bought the business from him. And in the next 10 years, we brought it up to, I have working over 350 workers for me when I sold it to Pennsylvania Power and Light. Yeah, your dad was right about you for sure, Joe Mazzaro. <laughs> You're going to do just fine. What would you say to people, maybe right now, who are going through a tough time in life and, and uh, need a little encouragement? What I would say is there are no impossible roads. You just keep knocking on that door until it falls down. You don't give up. You just keep going forward. And that's what my book shows, that I came into some problem areas that most people would have quit and walked away from. But I stayed with it and fought through it. And that's what you need to do in life.
never quit. Is this what you taught your kids? It looks that way, yes. My daughter's run the Freight House Cafe. Uh, she came through the pandemic with new ideas, new things. So, yes. And my other daughter, she wrote a book about uh, parenting, and she has four great children. And, and she did thank me uh, not too long ago, telling me that, that I instilled that in her, uh, not to give up. And I wish you a wonderful end of summer with uh, the whole family out on your private island, Joe. Thank you very much. What a great story. Check it out. The book is called The Impossible Road by Joe Massaro. I love that. You just knock on that door until it falls down. So there you go. A little inspiration for you if you were looking for some today. If you're looking for some entertainment for the kids, storyteller Jonathan Cruck is entertaining at 11 this Sunday at the Market on the River. Also, round about that same time, on the other side of the market, we're going to have one of those uh, meditation drum circles. Of course, it's all free. Find out more at LetItShineOnline.com. And yes, we're still collecting shoes. We need about 400 more pair of shoes. You can bring those to the market or the pantry in Verplank. Thank you so much again for tuning in to Shine On. Our thought for the day is from Roy T. Bennett, who wrote The Light in the Heart. He said, don't let the expectations and opinions of other people affect your decisions. It's your life, not theirs. Do what matters most to you. Do what makes you feel alive and happy. Don't let the expectations and ideas of others limit who you are. If you let others tell you who you are, you are living their reality, not yours. There is more to life than pleasing people. There is more to life than following others' prescribed path. There is so much more to life than what you experience right now. You need to decide who you are for yourself and become a whole being. Adventure. Mm. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.